Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hi, welcome to Mindspace. This is Jeff Boucher. I'm here with Maya St. Clair. Hi, Maya. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm excited. Well. Yeah, this week it's rock and roll. We, uh, we're taking a departure from the Comic-Con landscapes that we often roam and going into rock and roll. Uh, and we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, Mike Kerr is the lead singer of Royal Blood, a great band that's on uh, Warner Brothers Records. One of my favorite up-and-coming bands right now and uh, it's their third album third number one album right i think yeah which what's it called it's <laughs> typhoons and that is also the amazing title track of the the record um Absolutely. it's if you know royal blood they've got a kind of gritty rock and roll sound and this album adds a little bit of glisten to it but it's still very hard stomping and heart thumping um, so we definitely recommend you check out Typhoons at least. It'll definitely have you dancing for at least an hour. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, and uh, some really good music videos. You know, I'm a big music video fan. Um, I never uh, I never lost my MTV uh, kind of membership card from the early days. Um, and uh, I love I love the videos that they're doing, especially the one for um, Boilermaker, which they have Liam Lynch uh uh stars in and directed and it's just really kooky and uh, uh should be seen uh to be appreciated but we'll get into that probably uh during the talk but uh, yeah mike talks uh, about their creation process behind the videos and his philosophy of whether he is an artist should appear in them so yeah exactly and that's like a big it's an interesting uh division line um in the artist community some people really thrive on the on being on camera uh, others hate the sort of art, artificiality that most music videos require because of the sound uh recording sync and all that um but we shall get into that with our rock star visitor um here today on mindspace it's very nice to meet you today uh i, I know you guys have uh, you're coming out of an interview so we'll try to make this one a much more interesting like hopefully a lot more interesting. Sounds good. Yeah, congratulations on the new album. It's uh, it sounds great and it's doing really well. Um, this is your third studio album, like, uh, and we were talking about just before you got here, three number ones. That's very impressive. That's got to be a good feeling, uh, just from the get go. Yeah, it's difficult to um, it's a difficult one to process. Really, it doesn't um, as amazing as those sort of accolades are difficult to feel you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily change how we felt about the album when we finished it um 
you know, it doesn't, in the same way, I guess, if it was a commercial disaster, we, right. it wouldn't really shake our relationship with the songs or the, or the record. But, um, but yeah, I have to say it, it's, it continues to baffle us. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good thing. And yeah, it's absolutely true. I would imagine that you have to make albums that you love, not that uh, you're chasing uh, anything in the, in the public arena uh, or any sort of success, because uh, that would just sort of take you away from the, the sound that you guys have, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it's not, um, well, it's, it's impossible to, to design music around around that. And it's not, that's not really, a, that's not something we really have any interest in, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a lucky coincidence that our taste aligns with lots of other people's taste, you know, and that, and that, that kind of compass is all we, all we really have, you know, it's, we kind of if, if if we both like it then we know to some at this stage we're confident someone else will agree at least one person will agree with us yeah uh it's a great time for um you know kind of breaking down genres uh and that's there's good and bad with that you know genres help people find things they, they help them sort of focus their their musical kind of uh uh expedition in life but they can also be really rigid and put people in boxes. One of the things I like about you guys best is that you you, you seem to live halfway between the dance floor and the mosh pit, uh, you know, uh, and that's a really cool place to be. Uh, is that another thing that just sort of, that's just where you find yourself or is there something more uh, kind of deliberate in that? It's it's really the former, you know, it's um, this, the whole sound of this record and the direction of it was something that yeah, it was. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't premeditated anyway. It's just. Yeah. I, th I think it was something that clearly was unresolved in the band of us, and and uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, the atmospheres of, of those songs and the feel of them is something that I think we've probably been hungry for for a long time. But um, yeah, kind of just found ourselves playing in that way. And then once we started, it was very difficult to then retreat and go sort of try and, yeah, yeah, like, um, yeah, go back to where we were before on previous records. It felt like a breath of fresh air, you know, yeah. which is which is kind of amazing because, you know, we were in eight years into this and, um, yeah, it, it feels like we made a debut record, really, had, had the same kind of energy is that you know yeah you know uh, one of the things that happens uh, along the ways you collaborate with other people obviously uh, other bands uh, uh, either on tour or in the studio I know you worked with Josh uh, from Queens uh, tell me a little bit about some of the collaborations and, and maybe uh, what you take away from working with somebody like Josh who's got just so, so much uh, music credibility uh, and, and just a, such an interesting cool guy too yeah um, that experience was amazing and um, was pretty pivotal looking back. <coughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, when, we were, when we were working together, we, we didn't have an album, we certainly didn't have an album's worth of material, you know, it was our first step forwards and um, we had Boilermaker as a kind of highlight track and having toured so extensively with Queens of the Stone Age and 
Josh and I have been working together on, um, he invited me onto the desert session. So we had a friendship and a touring relationship and, and yeah, it, it felt very inevitable that we ended up working together and particularly on that track, you know, it felt like the stars had aligned on that one. Um, and the, yeah, the process of making that track was so fun. And I think we had, yeah, I think we realized we've been missing out on some fun in the studio. You know, it was mm. lots of um, what it, it kind of reminded us that the studio really is a playground and um, it's, it's a dream world where you can do anything you want. And when it came to tackling the rest of this record, we definitely carried that attitude moving forwards. Oh, that's interesting. And when you say fun, was it's what do you mean? It's as far as just uh, just on the approach, the philosophical approach to the creative process, kind of going into the studio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, um, yeah, it was as Josh put it, you know, like moving at the speed of inspiration, really, and not kind of not really forcing anything and um, and being open, you know. And just and just creativity on a <clears throat> yeah, like kind of using the studio as an instrument and being creative with how things are recorded, and that's something we hadn't really done before, you know. Yeah, I think I think there was something not clinical, but there was definitely something we definitely saw the studio as like somewhere to go in and get out of and get it right. done, you know. Yeah. Whereas, um, yeah, we just it just kind of opened our eyes to how um yeah how you can kind of put it's another way of putting your own stamp on everything you know yeah yeah it shouldn't just be part of the uh, you know the process the uh, the button pushing process it should be a, a place where you can kind of go on a safari mm -hmm. you know exactly um i like that uh, uh at the speed of inspiration that's a great uh that's a great line uh i love when people have these ways of summing up creativity uh they're, they're they're kind of, they uh, stick with me. One of the ones, uh, I was talking to Trent Reznor once and he was, he was just talking about how if you want to get struck by lightning, it's, it's really good to walk in the rain. You know, you've got to get out there and just be available to the things that are going to happen um, and being kind of uh, loose and, and ready when it gets there is, is just kind of what you're talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can totally relate to that in terms of the creative process, you know? It's a lot like fishing, you know? Mm -hmm. you um it's ultimately a lot of waiting around but it's uh you can increase your chances by going out there and casting as many rods as possible and and um <clears throat> yeah putting putting the time in because yeah like like you were saying with Trent you know so it is like being struck by lightning you know yeah. but it, it's also when that happens knowing knowing that that's happened and and, and following through your idea fearlessly um, and that's certainly what we did in a lot of tracks of this record. I mean, yeah. Limbo and Typhoons felt like that lightning strike. It felt like that was, I knew what we had to do, but it still doesn't mean you have to go and you still have to go and put the work in, you know? Yeah, they say yeah. like, it's 10% 10, 10 inspiration, 90% perspiration, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a sweaty mess, but it's worth it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you're from uh, near Brighton, is that right? Correct, you guys, yeah. You're based in Brighton now, but you, you grew up down there too. We did, yeah. We grew up around this kind of whole um, 
yeah seaside area really it's um it's a great place to be you know it's um it's usually raining but i like that you know it's stormy weather and it's very dramatic and yeah it's a cool place to live that's great that's uh uh i like i love it down there uh i grew up in south florida in like fort lauderdale which is completely different but still has that same seaside there's certain things about a seaside city that uh that give them some commonalities now, if people listen to your music how do you think they hear where you grew up in it uh, what part of that uh you know what you experienced as a kid there do you see or hear in your in your work no i have i have a theory that a lot you know a lot of reason for good music coming out of england is because music serves so well as an escape and often it it, it creates a desire for the exotic you know mm. and i think i think it's the fact that it doesn't match up with where we live is almost like a symptom of knowing that it's from England, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, because the sun doesn't shine and we're not in paradise, we have to go and kind of synthesize it somehow with music, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's certainly the case for this album. You know, it was, it was made during in the middle of a UK lockdown in the winter, you know, it doesn't really get any more depressing than that. <laughs> so yeah, it gave us like a hunger for, listening to rainbows all day yeah it's it's uh that's what w there's an old saying about there's not too many literary classics written in beautiful uh paradise-like tropics like you know you they come from russia and ireland and england and you know there, there's usually sort of a, a severity um william goldman the, the great screenwriter he said that the great torture about being in los angeles is that no matter how great it is on the keyboard it's sunny outside and there's there's people that aren't wearing enough clothes and there's things to do and uh, that mm -hmm. tug to get outside. Uh, that sounds yeah. like what you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, and I think also growing up around here, you know, there's there's such a desire to escape, you know, that yeah. you have to kind of forge your own golden ticket to kind of break out of the, the stormy weather and, you know, like get to places like LA, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's almost like a, there's a fight to get out of it, you know. And, sure. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned LA. You know, whenever I've been there, I've never written anything of substance because <laughs> there's why would I want to sit indoors? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's a pool. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, around here you have to make your own fun, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I, I've I always talk about boredom. I always think I think boredom is such a key to creativity because when you get bored you start experimenting each kind of try, trying things you know and you start that's kind of the beginning of creativity yeah yeah that's, that's whereas if true. you're just if, if you're just surrounded by pacifiers all the time and and things fill the void then you're not gonna like yeah you're not creating out of necessity which is where the best ideas come from yeah it's interesting too during this pandemic i mean it's 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 so easy to lose track of time like we've lost all of our our kind of uh standard routine ways of measuring our lives like the rituals and the uh, the, the the schedules that really kind of help us you know uh notch the days and months and uh years um it's all so foggy and, and, and amorphous right now uh has that has that helped you cocoon uh while working or has that been a challenge for you to to kind of try to get through the muddle of it i think again i feel like the um disorientation of kind of space and time has 
created more of a desire to have organization mm. and or and or and order if that makes sense yeah i think um in order to like navigate through the fog of it all um sure. i think the conditions of being creative in in that world though it it placed more importance on the fuck it <laughs> button <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what? Why not? At this stage, who cares? Like, what am I worried about? I mean, there was a point where it was like, "Is live music even gonna return?" Right. Yeah. You know, and it was like, yeah, it was. I, I almost feel like if that hadn't have happened, we wouldn't have kind of ventured forward as, as boldly. Yeah, yeah, and and if you look historically, it's it's very different. But like some of the greatest music, or you know, arguably the greatest music, has always been created during wartime and. Times of strife, you know. You look at like the '60s, like 1968. You know, one of the, you know, considered one of the historically most challenging years in in the U.S. and one of the best years for music, things like that. Absolutely. Um, you know, you guys are a two piece, uh, and I. It's so funny. Uh, there's always this uh, surprise at the amount of noise, uh, and I say noise in an admiring, admiring way. Uh, a two piece can create. I know that sounds silly, but like going to see the Kills or going to see the Stripes, White Stripes, and seeing you guys. Uh, there's there's that kind of a funny feeling. Is that something that you actually hear about? Do people say that to you? No, not a day goes by. It's the easiest win of being in a two-piece. You know, it's um, people will never cease to be amazed by the amount of sound you can make with two people. But yeah, it's um, I think most like we we certainly haven't like proved that you know that's been done way before us right. um it's something we got over very quickly the fact yeah. that that no that novelty we never we never we never wanted that to be the driving force of the band it it, it actually placed more importance on the songwriting mm -hmm. you know sure um because as simple as our sound was it, it, it yeah it creates more pressure on the drum parts and the lyrics and the vocals and the riffs everything has to be of importance you know yeah yeah there's sort of nowhere sort of nowhere for anything to hide yeah it's like an elemental everything has to be you know um kind of there's not even though that there's fewer elements they have to be therefore you know hold up even stronger like you can't have a flimsy yeah. wasted stuff yeah it's like making italian food yeah i can see that well you guys are saucy that's for sure it's, yeah it's the quality of the ingredients you know? yeah of course <laughs> you, right. you can because i think there's an insecure as the there's an insecurity with starting a two-piece band or even a three-piece band of, of will we sound big enough and i mm -hmm. think it causes one to kind of overcompensate for that and you end up creating this ridiculously big primal thing you know because that's, that's your yeah. that's kind of your worry Oh, that's interesting. That, that makes perfect sense. You know, like uh, thinking about the black keys or, or, or the white stripes. Yeah, that, that absolutely is the case. Um, what about for you, uh, when you think about the, the, the visuals, uh, the way the band's represented and uh, music videos or the artwork and things like that, uh, how uh, engaging is that for you? Is that uh, a, a strong part of the way that you express yourself? No, not really. It's, it, uh... At the beginning, particularly at the beginning of what we were doing, um, it's just something we'd never thought about. We were so engrossed in the music and 
and the way our recording sounded and 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 the live setup and the show yeah. that it all just seemed kind of like a like a side order uh-huh. <laughs> to yeah. us but but i think we've been we were lucky at the beginning in that we we worked with people like dan hillier who created our front cover and it feels so it felt so iconic actually when we did it but it, it certainly wasn't something that was thought about a great deal it was mm-hmm. more like i think there was a, a naivety to it in, in the best possible way sure i think i think it was almost like that we should just use that as a cover that's cool you know instead of overthinking everything and and i think that created a really strong kind of art direction and and aesthetic for us from the beginning which was i would put it down to a lot of luck and i don't think we can take much credit for that i think it's time i think after you've made a few music videos as well it's you just become very jaded and cynical about the whole thing very quickly um because they're i think they're very hard to make and more times than often, you don't make a song with a video in mind, you know. Yeah. So it's it's it, it's always an afterthought, and it's always a puzzle piece that never quite fits. And I don't know. I I, I remember seeing an interview with Freddie Mercury, and he never he never liked music videos because he thought that it distorted. Someone has an image of what a song looks like in their own head right. before they've seen the video, and then if you then show them a video, you're kind of messing with their imagination and how they saw it you know sure. yeah. which i kind of agree with um i think i think honest also as well i think our best music videos are the ones that we haven't been in <laughs> well that's you know, funny yeah it, I, they i think they leave more it leaves more space to kind of have more fun basically yeah, yeah. Well, the, like, the rock music you... videos is kind of very dated idea usually the band is the live show and the band members are shoehorned into this idea you know it doesn't make much sense but we've we've been lucky recently and i think we've managed to pull off a few good ones but i still think the best videos we've made we're not in (laughs) yeah yeah that's interesting that that they're more conceptual ones i was asking as a boilermaker uh you know like that it's so striking visually and it's 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 got such a great sort of conceptual uh kind of weirdness to it um But it stays yeah. separate and apart from the song. It, it it's it's like a reaction to the song almost, which is, kind of fits what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, it's an artistic reaction instead of a kind of trying to yeah fit it into a world which has nothing to do with the song. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, music videos. It's a strange and uh, and and wonky tradition. Like uh, and and it's hard to tell even what a music video is supposed to do anymore. You know, like uh, with MTV you know, era, you, it was clear what it meant back then. Now it's a little, it's more amorphous and, and maybe uh, uh, just kind of confusing sometimes. Yeah, you're right. You're like, what's the, what's the purpose of this, you know? Because yeah. I, I feel like sometimes, yeah, it, it can have a very like commercial drive to it. And I think they're always the worst videos. Whereas the what like, also I believe in giving people artistic freedom, like the Boilermaker video, we loved we loved Liam Lynch, and we knew we, and we just knew how talented he was. So it's like, why tell someone like that what to do? Yeah, you know, it's like showing Picasso your finger paintings. <laughs> <laughs> it's like let the guy do it, and we just we literally said do whatever you want because we trust you, and and that's where it should come from. And and yeah. he he sent us ten seconds of that march, and we were just like, 
oh my god that's amazing and the final the final video is the first edit he sent us oh is it oh, yeah it's funny it's, kind of it's like energy. it's per it's just perfect i think it's one of the best videos i say we've ever made <laughs> it's one of the best videos we have yeah yeah absolutely but well, uh I, I agree with you on that um you guys should definitely stay out of your videos it's, it's it seems to be working for you <laughs> they're also very boring to be in you know they're not fun oh i've been on a couple video shoots and and it's it's like torture watching people uh it's like really terrible uh like yeah, hours bad. and hours and hours uh, it's, it's, I feel bad for people. Uh, I think the worst music videos are the ones where people try to act out the lyrics. I mean, like you actually have the band. Uh, if you ever want to see the single worst music video ever made, um, and you'll watch it twice cause it's that bad. Uh, it's got can't fight this feeling anymore by REO Speedwagon where they act out the actual lyrics as they're lip syncing. And, uh, wow. <clears throat> it's, it's everything you don't want to do. So yeah uh, that's that's there if you need a if you need a reminder um you were talking about live the live show and and i can't even imagine how you guys feel about getting the the prospect of being back on a stage in front of people it must be kind of a fun bundle of emotions uh that you've got in your mind about that i'm sure you kind of played the moment out in your head a couple times uh can you talk a little bit about that i mean because live music yeah is so important you know what us. i was thinking about this today it's like uh, it's something that we've experienced before because every time you come off the road and go and make a record, you do have this almost exact period of time where you don't play live. You forget what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> you can't believe that you did that. And it's the idea of playing a show is terrifying. And then what after like the first gig, it's just back to how it was. So weirdly, I, 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 um, I, it's something we've experienced before. There's yeah. a familiarity to the unfamiliarity of it all. Um, but I think what's exciting this time around is that our fans have experienced that with us. There's a kind of unity. Uh -huh. um, and so it's like going back into the unknown together is exciting. And yeah, we've all just been starved of, of live music. And, you know, there was, over the pandemic, there's been these sort of desperate attempts to emulate it, but it, nothing, it's just highlighted even more how special it is because nothing can really come close to that feeling. Um, and um, yeah, it's going to be great. Because I mean, can you imagine if, if there was a way of emulating it and over the pandemic, we learned that, oh, actually, we don't need to do that anymore. We can just sit at home, you know, it would have been, <laughs> it would have yeah. been the end, you know, and, and lots of industries and practices have found themselves in that position. People are like, I can't believe we did it like that. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste of time and money. Like, we can just do it like this now. But live music is one of, I would say, one of few things that has, yeah, it's, if anything, it's highlighted even more how important it is. We've all now lived in a world without it, and we've realized how fucking shit it is, basically. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sucks. Um you know, I guess for all of us, like no matter what point in our life we are, there's there's a new challenge and there's a new opportunity. Um, for you, like right now, when you when you look at your creative life and the way that you're expressing yourself, the way that you're engaging your fans and your art, uh, wh what do you see as the biggest challenge with that right now? And then maybe wh what do you see as the biggest opportunity? Um, do you mean like in communication with the fans and that kind of thing? I just mean uh, in 
communication with your your art like i mean as far as like the creative either you know songwriting or, or recording or, or uh playing is there is there something you've pointed to that you want to work on or something that you point to and said this is something I, that this is a chance for me to to do something special or different um i think um i think this record in particular has been like the most reminded us the most that you have to do it for yourself, you know? Mm. And that um, I feel like we've always done that, but we've definitely given the voices of what will they think or is this right? And that kind of second guessing narrative can get into your head. We've definitely given that a, a platform in the past. And yeah, I think this record has just reminded us that you have to do it for your for your own entertainment and for your for yourself, no matter what the cost, you know. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're un <laughs> if you're unable to take any risks, you know, because there's nothing worse than taking a risk that you don't believe in, and it fails. Right. It's demoralizing. R rather than a risk you did believe in, it fails. It's totally different, you know. Absolutely. Um, if this album bombed and was just a fucking disaster. That we could still be like, well, we love it still. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. Whereas if it was like, okay, we don't really believe in this, but we think this is the right career move, and then you went forward, and it was a, you'd be like, it would be the worst, you know. Yeah, second guessing it's like forever. The, it's the Kurt Cobain thing, you know. It's better to be hated for who you are than loved for something you're not, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, uh, as far as that live performance, you, you mentioned how it's it's easy to forget, like that you ever did it or, or forget how to do it you worry apprehension of going back um what what is it like when you you do think about that first song in the first show back in front of everybody like uh uh is it apprehension more than um excitement or just pure excitement at this point um yeah it's 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 complex i think it's a bit of both you know yeah um but probably more excitement, really, you know, because I think the type of album that we've made um, is such a party, you know, and I think that's an atmosphere that we've always wanted on stage and perhaps try to find in, in, in previous material. But in this one, it, it feels so fortunate that it, it's like totally caters for a return and a and a a celebration you know yeah so i it, just think i just think it's going to be a good time a good vibe i think so too you know um and i love the the track sequence on the album like it, there's a real there's a real uh you know it feels like a tapestry put together like the way it, it all fits together really really well um and i love the piano on the the, the last track uh talk a little bit about the kind of picking that song to go there and is that something you obviously give a lot of thought to yeah i mean it, it sort of could go nowhere else because yeah. there was such a flow to the album and we wanted you to be able to put it on from the top and not want to skip tracks and yeah. in the same way like if one of us does like a dj set on the bus you know you want to keep the party going and you want it to have momentum. And I think I love dynamics and shows, but I think particularly for this record, you know, we didn't 
want there to be a lull necessarily. We want there to be a a, a consistency. Yeah. So having that track, you know, at the end, it was we didn't want to interrupt that. Um, it was also a fairly last minute decision to do it. You know, there was something very neat and tidy about ending on hold on and that being it feeling very like watertight and highly conceptualized but this song was just so special and important to us that we wanted it to yeah again it was like okay this is this would serve what other people what other people would want but this is our album <laughs> right so we have to put it on you know we have, we have to obey that principle you know we have to do this for ourselves you know and and if we'd tuned into that what would people think we probably wouldn't have put it on because we'll be like well this doesn't sound like this isn't what we do this isn't we should, we're not allowed to do this this is like, you know we would have got into that whole thing so yeah. um yeah and 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 um yeah i'm really proud it's on there i think it's um it's a really special song you know yeah it's very evocative i mean it's it's uh it it, does, it fits in well with everything that's going on too. I mean, I think the sentiment of it and the and the feel of it, um, that's pretty great. Uh, and just for you in the uh, being part of a two two part a, a two piece, um, how does that sort of affect uh, just the the collaboration? I mean, how are you guys as collaborators at this point? How has that changed? Uh, you know, the way that uh, it actually the interaction takes place. I think it's just a very well-oiled machine at this point, you know, and there's a great deal of trust between each other. And, you know, it's, um, that just gets enhanced as time goes on, really. Um, I think, I think the fact that there is only two of us, it means that, you know, it's the smallest democracy <laughs> you can get. And it's, it, the decision-making is very quick and very, we're very like on in the studio, you know, there's not really any, there's not a lot of umming and ahhing, you know, it's, it's very direct and, and it's always, it always has to be unanimous, you know, we never sort of drag one person along with an idea, you know, because it's the energy of the two of us being excited about something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, the definition of it. If it's, if you both aren't excited about it, it's, it's not Royal blood then. Exactly. Yeah. Everything you hear is what we both agree on and love. And I think we're quite different people. We both have, we obviously have share similar tastes in music, but there's also stuff that we listen to that's different that, yeah, creates that synergy. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys on the stage. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I, um, I've uh, only seen, I saw you with Queens once. Uh, but it's been quite a while, so it'd be really great to see you guys again. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, and um, it's uh, it's a great, great album. It's it's really, really good, and it's gonna uh, it's a kind of album that people really need right now. You know, it's uh, it's gets people up and out of their house, and that's a pretty good thing. Thanks, man. Great to chat. All right. Cheers. Well, thanks for joining us. All right. Well, thanks for listening. That was Jeff Boucher on Mindspace in conversation with Mike Kerr, the lead singer and bassist of Royal Blood, um, talking about their latest and possibly greatest album, Typhoons, and the title track 
for that is typhoons. It's wonderful. And one of Jeff's biggest takeaways from Royal Blood is their astounding music videos, many of yeah. which are animated. Uh, yeah, what was really your favorite one? They have really good attitude. Yeah, I think I, well, I really like Boilermaker. It's, it's kind of a quirky, um, lo-fi um, kind of art project version of a music video it was actually uh which which mike mentioned i think um uh it was done as um a pitch and then they said no let's mm -hmm. just use this one's right uh and that's yeah. uh that's uh says a lot it's got like a great quirky energy to it but uh, it reminds me of some of the classic you know well that that one's i mean it's uh animation with live performance obviously superimposed and you know kind mm -hmm. of that reminds me of a there's a long tradition of that. Uh, and I like the animated videos, uh, but uh, they, so a lot of them don't age very well, you know, I think. Oh, like what? Well, like the one that everybody likes that I don't, like AHA. I just don't think that that video is that Oh, great. really? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I it's just, funny I you mentioned that because um, this week is actually the 40th anniversary of MTV premiering as a channel. Yes, yes, it's true. And that would mean that the years are passing. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite a milestone there because that's almost a half century. Yeah. What was your re reaction to AHA Take On Me? That's the one where with all the comics imagery and the sketch animation. It's I yeah. think it's gorgeous, but it's got it's got a nice um, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, I would say gimmicks. Gimmick sounds pejorative, but it has a nice uh, uh, kind of a idea Focus? behind it. Yeah. yeah. Well, just the, the idea of he, uh, the reflection and it keeps flipping around. And so yeah. you see uh, the comic book version looking at the real world one, the real yeah. world one, the comic version. And that's kind of cool. And um, But uh, it's it, the artwork, I think, is okay. Uh, but I just, that, I can't stand that song. I just, it, I, oh, okay. I, music is so personal. And, and I, for some reason, it just, it's uh, nails on a chalkboard to me. Um, mm. And I think because of that, and since it, it became a well-regarded video and, and popular, talk, talking, of course, about uh, Take On Me, um, and it made me resent it slightly more, I think, because I, I was the comic book mm. guy. Like, I love comics and animation and stuff like that, and I, I, I wanted to love it, but I couldn't. Oh. It's really sad. So, but yeah. then I moved on. I moved on. Do you know, do you know, it was up for one of the first ever MTV Music Video Awards and you know what it lost to? Uh, I would love to guess this. Let me. They were that. actually directed by the same man. Whoa, okay, hold on a second. And it lost to a music video that was also animated. Okay, that's, that's. Also iconic and okay, other right. people say Peter that it Gabriel, also might have aged I'm running them. out of time. I, I don't need hints. Uh, Peter Gabriel? uh is it no dire straits money for nothing oh, oh that's interesting <laughs> that is interesting yeah. yeah i guess that that one swept the all the mtv music video awards you know why because he says i want my mtv in it well yeah <laughs> i mean that's what stings you know he does the falsetto yeah. at the beginning. uh that's very funny i mean that, that they could have put him like uh uh Corn dog on a plate and videoed it. And Sting saying, "I want my MTV and would have won Best Video." <laughs> the, I I I can't get that image out of my head now.
Well, that's if you've ever, ever seen every Sting video, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a corn dog on a plate. No, I'm just just randomly <laughs> taking shots, taking shots at Sting for no reason, no good reason. Um, but, but yeah, I, the director of both of them was a was a guy named Steve Barron. I was looking it up last night, and he directed lots of iconic '80s music videos. He directed Africa by Toto. He directed uh, "Don't You Want Me" by The Human League. Um, Great song. I love yeah. That. Oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to do something with music video directors sometime because I think they get so overlooked. You know. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, some some make the leap to feature film. You know, Mark. Uh, Romanoff was, you know, made his mark with things like the Johnny Cash Hurt video, and I mean, just amazing stuff. And he he made it to doing feature films from that, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. he did a uh, one-hour photo, for instance, with Robin Williams. Um, but uh, yeah, Steve Barron made the leap to film. He did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in the nineties. Nineteen ninety or the nineteen ninety. Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's something yeah well there you have it uh there's other great i mean the peter gabriel animation videos were classic mm -hmm. sledgehammer yeah. and steam uh was really good and i really like um tool uh you know with their amazing art direction that mm -hmm. you know um, and so haunting the stop motion animation that they they've used uh with songs like sober um and and of course the gorillas i mean you think about animation and videos you have to think yeah. about the gorillas who who live in an animated universe and just visit ours uh, mm -hmm. which is really really cool of them you know i like those guys mm -hmm. were there some other ones that you uh you had noticed or liked um uh i don't know do you, are you a fan of the killers their music video for yeah. miss atomic bomb is great it might appeal to heavy metal fans because there's lots of stylistic nods to like Mobius oh. and and French sci-fi comics. It's very Technicolor and it takes place in their hometown of Las Vegas, but in like a cyberpunk um, fantasified fancified uh, version. So yeah, yeah, the animation yeah. for that is gorgeous, and and they they do look look a lot like Mobius characters. <laughs> Oh wow, that's interesting. Oh, you know, I haven't seen that video. I will check it out for sure. I will check that one out for sure. I don't know how I, I missed that, uh, but that's mm -hmm. that sounds really good. Um, uh, you know, Pink Floyd, uh, the classic, the wall. Yeah. You know, like that's uh, uh, such a hugely influential film. You know, I remember talking to Christopher Nolan about it, like uh, how much he loved that film. He'd actually mm -hmm. seen an article I did. Um, it's one of the reasons Chris Nolan and I hit it off initially is because he'd seen this article I did on Alan Parker, where I went and I talked to Alan Parker, the late great Alan Parker, who um, I, I wanted to talk to him about music in film um, because I loved his use of music in film. And because I don't know if you know his, uh, you know, uh, filmography much, but it's he did Mississippi Burning, which I love uh, quite a lot. Uh, he did Evita. He did Pink Floyd, The Wall. He did The Commitments, which is a great, great movie. Um, he did Life of David Gale, which is not a good movie. He did, uh, you know, just some really interesting movies and, and with music at the very heart of them. And uh, um, The Wall uh, 
is it, you know, a towering influence over people in pop culture. Although I don't think the movie really gets noticed that much in, in, in a weird way. Like it, it's everywhere, but kind of unmentioned. And, and you'd be hard pressed to find people that know that, that Alan Parker was the director, you know? And he also did yeah. Birdie, which is great with the Peter Gabriel soundtrack. But he's just, mm -hmm. uh, Nolan said it really influenced him quite a lot. Uh, and uh, I always thought that Nolan should do a remake of it. Yeah, Park. I was gonna say, isn't that one of your dream projects? Yeah, I think so. Although I don't know that it's ever gonna happen in anytime soon because of uh, all the Roger Waters stuff, you know, because now he's become, I think that there's enough of a stigma attached that it, uh, true or not, or verified or not, or, you know, authentic in any way. Uh, it, it, it's enough to not do a remake of a movie that no one, you know, millions are, are not clamoring for it. The people that really want to watch it most are, you know, they're, they're smoking their sativa and they're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna make a lot of noise. So it's okay. But, um, yeah, but I think animated music videos are really popular. Um, oh, yeah. Not just um, recently, like as something that labels and artists will produce, but I think there's arisen a huge fan culture of kind of compiling your own collage style music videos on YouTube. I know that lots of artists uh, are really prone to that. Like yeah. there's whole subcultures of people like slowing down and reverbing pop songs and then playing them over old 90s anime clips and slow motion and producing a kind of dreamy found footage aesthetic. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting because one of the movies that frequently gets recompiled by lots of these teenage girls on YouTube is Cool World. Oh yeah. yeah. Teen girls just... love Cool World. Like <laughs> Yeah, everyone loves Hollywood. And so it's I think yeah. it's promoted an interesting resurgence among an interesting demographic for that movie. That yeah, lots movie, of people probably wouldn't have expected. Right. That movie did not do well and it wasn't highly regarded and, and uh, you know, is widely forgotten. Um, but it actually has some really interesting things in it, you know, uh, and would fall into the category of unexpected film noirs, uh, I would yeah. think. But, uh, yeah, Dua Lipa, actually, the pop singer, she has a music video that's animated for her song Hallucinate, and it's a tribute to Cool World, which was really just fun to see, like, in the 2020s, like, you know, young women love Cool World, <laughs> yeah. which it's, it's great. It, we'll have to it edit makes to me feel less up. alone, but. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, we'll have to add it to the Heavy Metal Film Festival. I've been uh, talking to the magazine mm -hmm. about putting together a film festival in LA with movies of people with guests and stuff. Um, I yeah. did some of these in the past, but uh, that'd be a natural. It'd be great to have like that with, excuse me, with heavy metal from, you know, 1980 and- um, mm -hmm. Rock and other. roll. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fritz that one was great. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good ones. Um, that's fun. Well, I can't. Uh, I can't wait to see Royal Blood. I hope that uh, I get a chance to see them perform sometime soon. I uh, I'm going to go see one of our previous guests pretty soon. Uh, Wayne Coyne and the Flaming Lips are coming to LA, uh, and I think that he's going to be doing a revisit to the podcast, which would be really great. Oh, that's uh, super exciting! Yeah, he's he's the best. He's like a really great guy, um, and I saw them in concert for the first time when I was. 18 years old 
at the Orange and Brew, which is the name of a bar, a bar uh, on the University of Florida campus. And they, they were playing a show there and they blew my mind because mm. one, it was a first time drug experience for me. And second, uh, I can never remember if they were playing Led Zeppelin songs with Pink Floyd music or if they're playing Pink Floyd songs with Led Zeppelin music. Or did I say the same thing twice? Uh, but it, uh, they would do, they would do like comfortably numb, but with musically the melody and all the, and then the lyrics they would pinch from like, uh, you know, uh, trampled underfoot by Zeppelin, and they would just superimpose these things. And oh, that I, sounds really like it sounds like a pat your head, rub your tummy type of oh, mental yeah. conundrum. It, it exactly was that and I had neither head nor a tummy and like I was trying to find my head or tummy and <laughs> there, there was nothing to be done and I because I kept recognizing the music but it kept I was instantly confounded because I was like oh I know this it's it's rock it's you know it's uh Black Dog by Zeppelin no no it's not and then it it it, it turned my head into a, a, a unsolved Rubik's Cube Mm-hmm. So, oh you'll so, love this you'll love this new meme trend that's going on it's people will take classic songs and reimagine them insert the lyrics of apple bottom jeans by t-pain <laughs> it, it's, it's it's quite a wonderful genre of little music clips but you know you can hear frank sinatra sing apple bottom jeans you can hear you know the beatles do it the beach boys harmonizing to apple bottom jeans it's it's like an alternate history where the greatest song ever covered and recovered by artist upon artist is apple bottom jeans that's awesome that's awesome that that's that i can i really respect that you know that that speaks to me on several levels because i think that, mm -hmm. that that sounds like something i would really enjoy like i've been thinking about doing this thing where i create concert posters for the all-time greatest concerts that never happened oh like, okay like pick a date in a city like you did London in 1980 with the single best concert you could put together in your head of people that were coming up and people that were around or whatever and or about to expire or whatever and then um but it never happened but then just create stuff for it like it did just to create confusion and anarchy in the, in the public mind and oh the, no the and the growth of magic in people's well beliefs. then of course you'd have a bunch of guys being like i was there that's it and that's the thing is that you, you, it it's uh it'll be a litmus test for yeah i've actually been in that position of of talking to people and they'll mention like like oh i remember uh, seeing them at you know i'm in chicago so it's like a wrigley field or you know t uh tinley park or um Minsky uh, Park and I'll look it up and I'll I'll be in the awkward there. person position like I'll I'll tell I'll tell this person like oh you know lots of people upload YouTube bootlegs like I could probably find your concert for you if you want to relive it because that's what when my dad open, does yeah. and then so sometimes I've been in the awkward position of telling people this concert didn't happen yeah, <laughs> are you remembering something else yeah um, it's, it's always a tough one it's, it's tough wonderful one. though yeah I, I do wish, you know, though, that those people could get concert that concert posters for the concerts that they misremember. That's funny. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and also I just want to like create. I like the idea that like Sinatra and, and you know, uh, the Sex Pistols did a concert together, and that people just forgot about it. You know, 
because they could have done my way like a duet that would have been yeah. great no that'd be terrible I think you're in a position that you're such a guru on these things that you could insert these into conversation and just be like oh yeah you know funny thing about Frank Sinatra you know he actually did a concert with the Sex yeah. Pistols exactly yeah it was oh, actually you know, like it was it was in london in you know 1974 it was like a real but it was kind of like you could you could string people along yeah it's on the other channel the bbb the bbbc uh you know just keep adding bees to it uh mm -hmm. you know it's funny this I'll, I'll confess something that uh that happened that isn't not much of a confession but it is kind of funny is i was at coachella one year and i was talking to two music writers i was talking to a music writer from Rolling Stone and a music writer from the New York Times. And uh, the New York Times, well, I won't say which one. I think I just did. The New York Times reporter uh, left early and he left before the concert was over. I'm like, dude, you're going to leave Coachella before it's over. What if happens? something happens? Like, you know, you're like, it's the biggest thing on the West Coast and, and uh, he's going to get a jump on the traffic back. And so the other journalist and I started talking and uh, saying, you know, if we both text him, I think there was texts then, uh, and say, holy shit, can you believe Radiohead just did my humps? And like that if we both did it, <laughs> and that if one of us tweeted it, and then deleted the tweet, uh, it would be enough for him to potentially add it to his story. And that <laughs> if the New York Times, the LA Times, and Rolling Stone all said that Rage, uh, I was Rage Against the Machine. That was it. It was Rage Against the Machine. That mm -hmm. Rage Against the Machine did my humps. If all three of them said it, they did do it for at least four hours until like the world can peel back what happened and that no, they didn't really have. But like it would become, uh, it would have become uh, some, uh, a level of certainty for a short time. That that but, is also an iconic edit. Rage Against the Machine covering apple bottom jeans. You need to look it up. Okay. They do it. I mean, they don't really do it, but somebody has them do it. That's good. Well, I think my humps is a pretty good choice for them too, you know, because yeah. like, that thing, my lovely lady humps is like, there's all kinds of good, exciting things going on with it. I, and I, I, I interviewed Black Eyed Peas many, many times, and one time actually had a real negative experience with them backstage because I asked a question about that song that offended them because they didn't understand the question, I think. I said, let me ask you, you have this song, and he goes, it's my hopes, right? Yeah, my hopes, big hit. And you rhyme it. You say, I, uh, my bumps, my hopes, my bumps, my lumps, but no rumps. What happened to rump? Like, and, and, and they're like, look at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I just want to know why you didn't do rump. I mean, like, why would you do a lump and a bump and a hump, but not a rump? I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, I just, and they hadn't really heard the word before. And I was like, oh, okay. But it, it was the beginning of the end of that, that interview, I think. Hmm. I was going to say, can objectify women in our lyrics with every other rhyme, but we draw the line at the word rump. It's just, it was off their radar. It was off their radar. Yeah. And I think it, it created a, uh, a semantical gap between my generation and their generation. And that was the end of my rapport with the Black Eyed Peas. I, I'm sad to huh. say. I mean, because I mean, I feel like most people know rump, if not from like reading about it as a hindquarters thing, at least from cuts of meat, you know, like, but. That's funny, because when you said hindquarters thing, I thought you meant cuts of meat. And then you said cuts of meat in addition well, to Well, you know, see that I meant people hindquarters, but. 
Yeah, I see that now. Speaking oh. of Pink Floyd's The Wall and what oh, do you say speaking of Pink Floyd? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, which band is she gonna mention next? Wow, that's a great introduction. Speaking of hindquarters, uh, uh, Rose are on tour. <laughs> it's a random shot. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, so what was your experience at, at MTV? Like where were you? Were you covering music yet? When oh no 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 I was uh, just a fan I just meant like okay. as a uh, uh, just as because I was I when it started I was uh, was it eighty two or eighty three it was eighty two I think eighty one oh, because it's oh, the fortieth yeah oh yeah, of course I'm sorry uh, I was eleven years old so oh okay yeah and I didn't get MTV right away uh, I mean uh, I didn't have access to it I understood it but I couldn't I couldn't watch it uh, and it was fascinating by it and. Uh, I remember when I finally did get it that uh, Dire Straits was in heavy rotation. That was the that was that was part of my kind of inaugural uh, MTV experience. But I loved MTV, and it's uh, you know it it I I dreamed of being like Kurt Loder. I thought that was the coolest thing. Like MTV News, you know, it was this guy and he was just kind of serious and smart, and he didn't hang out with the VJs and. And things to say and mm -hmm. he was kind of wry and cynical and uh i just liked the way he held himself and and i liked the logo and i don't know it just the whole thing it really resonated with me um in a way that uh uh felt it felt like there was an ownership generational ownership it felt like this was for my generation this is for us you know um and uh you know, I and I miss MTV, uh, what it once was, and and it's a whole long crazy. There's a ton of reasons what happened happened, but I'm not sure all of them are that interesting anymore. But you know, uh, I I I do miss music videos being a part of having the pop culture currency that they had because it used to be like mm -hmm. a real thing. Like I remember when like new YouTube video came out, and like my friends and I would gather at somebody's house to watch it like there was a thing you know when uh when uh joshua tree was coming out i went to my friend joe's house and we were all so excited you know uh and that's it's too bad that that's gone i mean i people it's a great time to be a music fan because there's so many ways to access digital music and there's so many ways to have it with you anywhere you are and stuff like that but we've also diminished the value of it to a certain extent and we certainly mm -hmm. diminished the communal aspect of it to a lot you know i think the the record turntable was ideal for people gathering around and and uh, talking or dancing or listening to Pink Floyd the Wall and doing whatever they do and and uh, you know not so much with the, the iPod and the Walkman before it and things like that. So it's uh, it's become a more solitary consumption in a way. Music, mm -hmm. um, but music fans are connected in a way that they never were before with you know the internet and stuff. So it's it's one of those things that's uh it's the best of both worlds and, uh, and uh, yeah i think that there are events but not in like a physical kind of gather around the tv and watch thriller premiere as, as my parents did in their dorm but i think it's more of a social media that's where it happens yeah because right. i i do know that like have you seen little nas x's montero that was the big one yeah yeah, but I remember that it was interesting because all the mainstream news coverage on it was like two weeks after it had come out. It had already like ever, like they're like, did you know that you know he you know 
has sex with Satan in this video and it's like a bunch of adults talking about it and like everyone this is old news on on the social social webs yeah um yeah that that felt huge I think so but again it wasn't like it wasn't something that you know you congregate and watch right which I think you know kind of frees him to be able to you know have sex with Satan in a snake suit (laughs) yeah yeah you know that's, I was going to say you couldn't probably get away with that in like a family room TV, but I I mean, Duran Duran, <laughs> what oh, yeah. was their order of the snake? But <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, I can't remember, but I know what you mean. Yeah, um, it's true. And also South Park. I mean, I mean, yeah. they sodomized Steven Spielberg. I mean, like, what what the hell? Like, I, like, I was like, holy cow, mm-hmm. that's not the way things should be in the world um but uh yeah you know i'm or like with music videos i remember when madonna's papa don't preach came out like what a how you know that was like a real thing like a moment in time where this video was like stirring you know uh conversation and and uh and doing so in the in the context of a pop hit which uh mm-hmm. is one of the great things that people can do i think you know um so and then the videos got so big and so expensive. You know, they were having all these million-dollar videos like Biggie, and, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I kind of started covering music for in, uh, in 1999 um, for the first time. And you know, that's around the time of Sync, you know, and Alanis Morissette and Garth Brooks, and um, there was uh, uh, music videos were big, but uh, not not to last much longer at that level you know i mean they used to be people used to invest huge budgets into them you know hype williams and, and all these amazing uh productions uh and i went on a few and it was always really a lot of fun um so i miss all that mostly because i get uh i'm just the fun part so mm-hmm. yeah but royal blood is uh kind of connecting back into that amp stack in a lot of ways they, they kind of remind me of uh, a little bit in some ways of the black keys um mm-hmm. you know there and there are two piece uh also like uh like the white stripes also uh and uh uh a little bit of arctic monkeys uh, you know mm-hmm. like if the arctic monkeys were playing um uh um black keys songs i think it might sound like a band that could someday be royal blood but mm-hmm. uh they're they're a lot of fun and, and uh doing really well Boy, it's a treat to have him uh, with us, and I hope we get to have him back sometime. Yeah, I know they're touring in the UK. They've got some shows in August, and then they're going to do, hopefully, fingers crossed, because that's the world we live in right now, uh, lots of shows across Europe as they're touring and festivals. So hopefully, you know, praying to the crossing myself against the Delta variant of COVID that we can have a normal fall um their stuff is groovy it's spooky it's kind of perfect halloween music for your yeah. halloween disco so yeah good point that's yeah, good dark strutting music yeah yeah fantastic well that's great we should definitely have more rock and roll on don't you think i, I really like having bands uh, oh awesome music. yeah yeah we should do that for sure so we'll join us again next week on mindspace and Thank you. Uh, Thanks for listening.